Welcome to the Climate Chronicles podcast by SkySpecs, the show where we explore the latest wind and renewable energy trends, industry expertise, and best practices that can help us deliver the most efficient energy generation in the world. Let's jump into the latest episode. Welcome once again to SkySpecs Climate Chronicles podcast, where we explore some of today's biggest issues facing the renewable energy industry. I'm Sarah Lights, head of our marketing here at SkySpecs, and my co-host for today is SkySpecs CEO, Danny Ellis, and our guest for today is one of our newest board members and recent investor, Vikas, who is the managing director of Goldman Sachs Asset Management. Welcome. Welcome to you both. Uh, before I jump into the Q&A portion of the show, though, how about uh, we start off with you both telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey to your current role? Vikas, since you're the guest, how about you go first? Thanks, Sarah, and thanks for having me on. Um, so, you know, my, my current, I'll give you a little bit of background and where I sit within Goldman and, you know, my background uh, personally. So uh, maybe I'll do the, the latter first. So I joined Goldman um, out of college, and I joined in 2006. I actually joined a team that focused exclusively on investing in renewable energy, clean tech, alternative energy. And it was done, it was done for the balance sheet of Goldman. So it was third-party capital. It was all done for Goldman's own balance sheet, and it, it invested across the capital stack, across the value chain of renewables at the time, and the time being, you know, pre-crisis. And uh, you know, it's evolved over time. You know, the crisis hit, you know, all banks um, pretty deeply, uh, and we evolved. We did less stuff that was, you know, more equity and riskier. We did more financing and credit-oriented deals afterwards. Um, and then you know, I kind of grew with that team um, until 2020, where we ended up raising a strategy to, or, or having a strategy to raise third-party capital in a dedicated sustainable investment fund. And the name of that fund is called the Horizon Climate Environmental Solutions Fund. Um, it's about $1.6 billion. It's where we made our investment in the SkySpecs. And we've made, you know, about a, a 10 or 11 other investments across the globe um, out of that fund. So it's a little bit more of my journey. Um, you know, I think we've known about you guys for, you know, maybe a year before we actually invested. Um, you know, Dan, he was on the radar of, of one of our um, private wealth individuals. Um, one of the associates in our desk had, had been talking to Danny for a while. And we, we got introduced that way. And even before you formally started raising the round. Awesome. So Perfect segue. Sense. Perfect segue to bring up Danny too. Then Danny, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks, Sarah. And, and, and thanks for joining us here, Vikas. Um, yeah, so my, my name is Danny, the uh, CEO and co-founder of SkySpecs and the very abridged version of my background. Uh, like Vikas said, this is my first job out of college as well. Um, we, we are actually not not too far apart in our collegiate journeys in, into the corporate world. Um, but, you know, I went the, the startup route uh, straight out of my master's degree at the University of Michigan. So aerospace engineering uh, educational background uh, turned into drones and robotics, turned into the wind industry. Me and my co-founders had been working on autonomous drones and robotics um, launched into the wind industry around 2014, 2015 timeframe, uh, where we recognized there were large assets that, that could use 
uh, robotics and automation typically are really in hard to reach places. And wind was the, the really the perfect application. Uh, scaled that initial product, which was an autonomous inspection drone, uh, you know, up for, for a few years, then started branching into, you know, our, our current products today of condition monitoring, financial asset management, and really, you know, overall asset management and predictive maintenance. And it was part of that journey uh, that got us in discussion with, with Goldman uh, early in uh, 2020, actually. And, and it's it's kind of ironic for me, uh, my very last in-person meeting prior to COVID, literally the day we shut our office down, uh, was with the private wealth team uh, over, over at Goldman out of the Chicago office. And they put us in touch uh, with the team in New York. Uh, so, you know, way before uh, we actually even figured we'd be raising a round uh, with someone like Goldman, uh, we were already in those discussions early. That's awesome. It was meant to be. Like to think uh, so. Yeah, yeah. So um, before we jump into the the deep questions, I like to ask some getting to know you fun questions. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? Danny, I'll, I'll start with you since you were talking last. <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, so if I could live anywhere, and and I'll, I'll caveat this with uh, with you know bring my entire family along with me because yeah. uh, I've recognized after having children that it is is very hard to move away from the extended family uh, and and so you know born and raised in Michigan still in Michigan today and and it's it's great for raising a family but in an idealistic world and I've never been there uh, you know I I've always thought that New Zealand would be awesome um, but once again never been there so who knows maybe I'd feel differently once I got there yeah. Uh, with the same caveats as Danny, um, and also assuming I can keep my job, uh, I would, uh, I, you know, my, my place would be San Diego. I think, uh, I think San Diego is, you know, I, I've been there. I've had family that lived there for a few years. Um, and one, you know, I, I love being in the U S that's just where I grew up. It's, it's easy. Um, and then I think it's a beautiful spot. Just kind of everything to do there. Um, that's kind of driving distance or a short flight. And yeah, I do think San Diego is paradise. I think it's absolute paradise. Yeah. And my friends that live there complain about the lack of seasons. And I'm convinced that they're taught that. So we don't all move there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, really. It's not that great. Don't, don't come we, here. We, we hate the sun. What's the yeah. sun? <laughs> <I know. laughs> Uh, all right. One more question before we jump in. Uh, what is something that really annoys you? Lucas, how about you first? Do you have any pet peeves? Uh, riffing on this, but I would say I don't like bad drivers. <laughs> I, I am very particular when I'm on the road. And if, if there's a driver in front of me, not I don't. it's not like road rage. It's more like, hey, like, why is this... Slow left hand, left um, left lane drivers. That's that's definitely my pet oh, peeve. Yeah. Slow left lane drivers. Like the left lane is meant for passing. If you're not passing, go on the right lane. Those people. I, I, could, I could get on. I could get on board with that one for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pet peeves! I have I have so many. I'm not even sure which one to discuss. <laughs> I <know. laughs> I'm like rolling through my list. I have a lot of I have a lot of subtle pet peeves uh, for sure, but what what annoys me? Oh man! Um, oh man, Sarah, you put me on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing like comes to mind uh, right now. But I, I'd say that maybe maybe one of the bigger things that annoys me in business is uh, 
is, is, you know, bad marketing, you know, over-promising and under-delivering. I think that's, that's what annoys me the most. Uh, I, I have no issue having, uh, you know, worthy rival competitors. I love when, when people are working to make the industry a better place, make the world a better place. Uh, but it really annoys me when people lie about what they can do and then can't deliver. Um, even if it's not directly competitive with what we're doing, I just, I just want to see people, you know, solve hard, hard problems and, and, uh, market what they can actually do. So that's, that's a big one for me. That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one, just because I just have been off this long traveling stint, people who don't know how to go through a TSA pre-check or anything, <laughs> and they like, don't know what they're doing. And they send through their liquids and all this other kind of stuff. And you're like, Come on. And the back up the line and you, and you, ha- you pick the wrong line. It's the, it's the worst. <laughs> I, I yeah, riffing off of that one too, Sarah, I have to selectively choose who I travel with so that I don't bring those people with me. <laughs> oh, I know. oh yeah. Like I had colleagues that aren't TSA pre and I can't travel. Like it's like, yep. it's like, I'll meet you at the gate. When yeah, you get there. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> um, I did that to my husband. We were <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry. I, I gotta do me. I can't take my shoes off. I don't, I'll, I'll meet you there. Yeah. This also reminds me of one of my other pet peeves is uh, flight delays that are not caused by weather. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, they're like, hey, uh, you know, this person hasn't showed up yet or like, or the worst is uh, the flight crew needs to take a, like a rest break because they're yes. like mandatory. I'm like, isn't that, can't you plan for that? Yeah. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. Those are good ones. Yeah. All right. Well, now that we've gone through the the getting to know you stuff, uh, let's jump into the nitty gritty, the fun stuff. Um, so Vikas, of course, this question is for you. For those uh, uh, people who are listening who may not be familiar with the renewable investment side of Goldman, um, can you give us a general overview of what your investment philosophy is and what some of your goals are? Yeah. So I think... You know, it's it's interesting. You know, we're trying to rebrand ourselves a little bit to, to Danny's kind of previous comment on marketing. We're trying to rebrand ourselves a little bit at Goldman because we actually have been involved in investing in sustainability for almost two decades, but we really haven't made a big deal out of it. And and the street and um and other people in around the country don't know how much we've done and and how it's organized internally. So we broadly speaking all the investing activity is in the asset management division. So mm-hmm. that's the division that I'm in. And we have, a, we have several different pockets of capital, but our, our, our most direct pocket of capital is the Sustainable Investment Group, which again, I'm in. And within the Sustainable Investment Group, we have a few different strategies to invest in renewables, invest in environment and climate solutions, um, and not just power related. One is the Horizon um, Climate Environmental Solutions Fund, which I need, which I um, talked about in the beginning. Uh, no pun intended with you know Skyspex's you know flagship product um, called Horizon, but uh, coincidental. Um, so you know that's a one point six billion dollar fund. We invest in companies in clean energy, which is where Skyspex falls into. You know it's low carbon transport or mobility, food and ag, waste, water and materials and, you know, kind of the circular economy. So we're making investments out of that. It's $1.6 billion. In addition to that, we, um, we have a balance, we still have our balance sheet and investing strategy, um, which is mostly tax-oriented investments. 
So it's going to be tax equity and renewables. Uh, you know, this year we have committed over a billion dollars in tax equity across wind and solar. Uh, and so that's a business that we continue to grow. Um, and third pocket or third strategy within sustainable investing is a battery storage strategy where we are launching a large battery storage effort where we have seeded and funded a, um, a company, um, a new company that will develop, construct, and own standalone battery storage assets across the U.S. grid. Um, in addition to these kind of three pockets of capital, uh, we can we work with our corporate equity folks, which is a ten billion dollar private, you know, general private equity fund, um, and obviously they they focus on energy transition. So some of our larger deals we co-invest with them, and they have a team that's focused on energy transition. And same thing with our infrastructure fund. Um, and then, you know, as you know, Goldman um, seeded and then spun off our uh, Goldman Sachs Renewable Power, which is a solar investing team um, that's now separate from Goldman. Uh, and then we have um, some smaller strategies kind of across the firm, but the, those are the main strategies. And so if you add them all up, you know, we're like north of $10 billion invested um, across, we call it sustainability. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't realize it was that much. Yeah, it's a, it's not a very well-known secret. We should make it a little more public. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully more people will know it if they listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and bridging off of that, because, um, you know, obviously a lot of different areas of sustainability. Uh, from your personal perspective, you know, where do you think the biggest challenges and, and therefore biggest opportunities are, you know, within that, that broader sustainability group? Um, so I, I think in terms of challenges, it's, it's really the pace. So I think people's goals are very lofty. The United States' goals, personal goals, professional goals from different companies, corporates seeking to procure renewable energy, different states' goals are all very lofty. But there's several things that kind of stand in the way from getting from here to there. Um, one is the pace of deployment, meaning like permitting, getting the equipment, and that entire timeline is taking longer than it should. And we're seeing projects always get moved to the right, whether it be supply chain issues or tariff issues. You know, with, you know, we're seeing a lot of solar panels being stuck at, you know, the port in the West Coast um, or, you know, finding labor to construct projects. That stuff is all getting moved to the right. And then, you know, in general, what we're also seeing is um, the cost of capital. So the cost of capital has come way down, as we all know, um, over the last decade. But, you know, we kind of thought it came down to an unsustainable level, uh, given recent, you know, rate increases and, and cost of capital changes. And so a lot of projects that were penciled into an environment that was 12 months ago, no longer pencil. And I think that's going to be a challenge um, kind of recalibration challenge over the next call it 12 to 24 months. Um, some of the things that helped those issues um, were dealt with in the IRA. So a couple examples. One, um, cost has gone up for equipment. We'll also have tax credits. So the tax credits re, you know, were reinstituted at a higher amount or at the previously 100% amount. And I think that helped offset some of the cost increases that were unbudgeted, but they did not take into account cost of capital increase. So we're still going to have to 
to deal with that. I think what another thing that the industry is going to have a challenge on is um, is off-tick structures. Like merchant has been, you know, people don't want to take merchant risk. Good quality PPAs are few and far between. And um, and so that's going to, going to be continue to be a challenge. You know, we saw great contracts back, call it pre, uh, you know, 2018 is probably when, you know, things started to gain more hedge-like and less um, firm. And I think that I think they'll have to go back to um, more take-or-pay contracts. Yeah, so let's let's dive a little, a little bit deeper uh, into your perspective on, on the IRA. Um, because I think a lot of people, you know, even in our own ecosystem, don't know the specifics around the IRA and the timeline that it's actually going to to benefit this industry. And, you know, I guess what what is your perspective there? And, you know, also taking into account that, uh, you know, we we've, you know, have a long, seemingly long time to get to, you know, these lofty goals that you state. But if we don't get ahead on it early, that that target keeps getting worse, like harder and harder to reach. Right. So everyone yeah. points to 2050, which in, for many of us feels like a lifetime away. Right. But but how does this IRA help us take those first few steps just in the next few years here so that we can catch back up to kind of being on pace to where we need to go as an industry? Yeah. So I think what the number one thing that the IRA provided was certainty over a long period of time. So and by long period, I'll put it in quotes, is 10 years. So provided incentives for 10 years which was unprecedented in the last 20 years of renewables. Um, renewables live and died by the incentives. And some years they did die. I think there was a year, you know, we can check it after this podcast, but I think it was 2013, you know, where in 2012, we had the wind PTC and there was like seven or eight gigawatts of wind installed. And in 2013, it expired. And there was like one gigawatt of wind installed in the U.S., so we literally live it. We have lived and died by these incentives, and this provided. Now this was providing ten years of guidance, which in a large capital project, you know, you kind of need, you need long term planning. So that I'd say overall, that was the best thing the IRA provided. This is long term guidance, and then second, they added a lot more incentives. So you know, one let's just do wind and solar to start off with, and we can get to the others. But wind, you know, they went back to 100% of the PTC, but then they added domestic content and energy community adders. So you can have theoretically get to 120% of the PTC that has existed since, I think, you know, the late 90s, or early 2000s, um, which is great. And so, you know, a lot of projects that weren't penciling can now pencil with the added PTC. Um, same thing with solar. The ITC was scheduled to wind down and you can get up to i've read somewhere like 60 to 70 percent of the ITC, depending on like which labor you choose where it is domestic content etc like a lot of adders for solar um but we think most projects will get between 30 and 40 percent of an itc again for the long term so you can uh you can elect uh, to make capital decision and then do planning well in advance and then now they made, <clears throat> they added back the solar ptc so instead of just electing an ITC, you can elect a PTC, and depending on your ratio of cost to output, a PTC may be much better for you. And we've seen most developers seek the PTC in, in Texas, for example, where costs are typically lower 
for construction and your radiance is higher. So that's been really, um, it can really turbocharge the industry. In addition to those incentives, um, you know, we've seen, you know, things in hydrogen, carbon capture, and domestic manufacturing. And we think, you know, my running joke internally is that hydrogen went from zero to hero. You know, it or green hydrogen did. Like it, you know, the economics never made sense um, in the US for hydrogen. Um, but now they've introduced a three dollar per kg um incentive that's refundable through, you know, it's not just a tax incentive, but it's be cash pay. And for anyone who doesn't know, three dollars per kg is the equivalent of twenty-one dollars in MMBTU of natural gas. Um, so very meaningful. And if you set it up everything correctly. Theoretically, you can get paid to produce hydrogen. Um, that isn't for distribution and things like that, but just to production, like you can effectively create it for free or even get paid a little bit of money because all these tax credits or tax credits and, and incentives are stackable. So you can create a green hydrogen wind farm, get it inspected by SkySpecs every year, hopefully every quarter. And then you um, have an electrolyzer and you create hydrogen. So, and you can get you know roughly zero marginal cost. Next, you know, carbon capture, another thing that that was increased in the um, in the IRA. It went from fifty dollars a ton to eighty five dollars a ton, and then they had even adders for that for direct air capture, uh, and uh, and then domestic manufacturing. I think you know that's been a big theme, kind of post COVID or during and post COVID is you know supply chain um, stability and bringing things back onshore. Uh, especially manufacturing, and you know, we've been making investment decisions as well that have been formed by domestic manufacturing. So, you know, all those things have come together for I think you know the, the best the right ingredients to have the industry really take off. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, one of the things a lot of folks don't uh, recognize is how all of these industries are intertwined. A lot of people think that wind is standalone. Uh, they don't recognize how it's related to hydrogen. They don't recognize how the upside of, of wind and solar uh, comes with better storage or better alternative uses of electricity to create things like hydrogen for other other use cases. Um, really interested to see how those those things evolve. Um, but yeah, from that as well, I forgot another, the storage. Yeah, sorry, I forgot the storage tax credit. You know, that uh, uh, you reminded me. You know, we um, part of our business here at Goldman, we have an energy storage uh, fund. And uh, a strategy and the 30% ITC is certainly going to be helpful there. And I think it's it's a little bit of a maybe virtuous cycle where, you know, all the new renewables are be, have better incentives. And so grid stability is going to be more important. And so you'll need more energy storage on the grid. So it's a, it's a perfect, it's, it's a great cycle for, for yeah. the entire industry. Yeah, I'm 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 very uh, excited about where that's going. Um, you know, a lot of times we we speak to customers who are running into curtailment issues because the grid can't take the extra energy, and and that leads them to doing more reactive maintenance because they they're not as concerned about the uptime of of their turbines. So it'll be interesting to see how that that evolves over time uh, when we remove curtailment because there's always a need for more electricity. Um, yeah, and I assume most of most of your clients and, and customers. Are not just wind, right? They're wind Correct. and solar, wind and solar and storage, and so these are all intertwined. 
Yeah. And then most, most of our customers are just energy companies, you know, of, of all forms. Yeah. Right. And so it, it's, it is going to be a, a world that is continuing to merge together. And I'm excited to see that coming together. Um, but yeah, on the, on the uh, IRA again, um, what is, is your perspective on the speed at which we, you know, the, the government's trying to incentivize domestic manufacturing and, and, you know, from the perspective that, you know, obviously the, the the goal of using our own tax dollars for our own benefit is is huge, but at the same time, a lot of expertise in these areas comes from around the world, and then even a lot of our own business is global at this point. So, what is I guess Goldman's perspective on a global investment scale versus you know really emphasizing domestic in the near term? Um, so I'll give you my view. You know, Goldman people sure, have yeah. different views around the around the firm, but. Uh, a lot of the technologies that are in equipment for our industry, like let's just take solar, for example. I, I, a lot of the innovation actually happened in the U.S. and just got outsourced in manufacturing to China and Southeast Asia recently. And, and so bringing it back here, I don't think there's, there's not going to be a quality or innovation gap right. um, in solar, for example. And that goes for um, panels. You know, obviously, first solar has different panels, but even silicon-based panels, and then inverters. Um, you know, separately, our team has just invested in one of the largest battery storage inverter manufacturers that are actually based in the U.S. So, we think on the inverter side and solar side, and even on the racking side, the next tracker and ETI are both American companies. So, mm-hmm. that that ecosystem, I think, is a lot safe in the U.S. Wind, I mean. GE is one of the largest wind turbine manufacturers in the world. Um, obviously, they're based here. Vestas is obviously European, but they make a lot of their components here. So we're seeing in a lot of the wind farms that we're looking to finance that Vestas is coming out and saying, you should qualify for the domestic manufacturing credit. So you know, for, you know, everyone kind of knows that wind turbines are huge. It doesn't make sense to ship them across the ocean. You domestically, you always... Um, uh, manufacture them domestically. So I don't think that value chain is going to change dramatically. Um, I think what will change dramatically is the battery supply chain as it has, as it feeds into, you know, general energy storage assets, as well as EVs. Um, that does not exist in the U.S. And I think that has a ways to go. Um, I don't have a strong view of how and when that will happen, but it's going to happen given the incentives. Um, and then in uh, in solar, you know, there's very little manufacturing right now in the U.S. So I think that's going to take two to four years to really ramp up here for people to qualify for the domestic manufacturing credit. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, <clears throat> turning a little bit here. So Goldman, I mean, you guys have been involved in renewable energy investment longer than most, if, if not everybody. You've been in a long time. You yourself personally have been in it a long time. Uh, and then we've been seeing a lot of investor interest from all over, you know, areas you would never have thought that even had interest in, in renewable energy, trying to get involved at some level, whether it's in direct ownership or in investing in tech companies that, that are supporting it. Um, you know, every company now has, has ESG requirements. Uh, LPs have ESG requirements. Uh, what is your perspective on the overall investment landscape of just everyone getting involved in this? And you know, what's it going to take for that investor confidence to remain high? Initially, question, you know, we get asked this a lot by investors and obviously by by companies that we invest in because we're also competing 
um, with with others in, in our industry or in, in the investment industry. So I think that in general, everyone has now made companies in sustainability, say ESG or renewables or clean tech kind of a strategy. So if they don't have a dedicated fund, they have allocated resources as part of the generalist funds to invest in this strategy. And I think that's driven by a couple of different factors. One is LP demands. So, you know, LPs, particularly ones that are based in Europe, are very focused on um, sustainability goals and what underlying funds are investing in. So it's, it's you know, LPs. Two is where are the incentives? They're seeing a lot of money going into this industry um, from the government. So you think, you know, the tail ones there. And three is growth rates. So especially in the current environment, people, you know, general tech is a little bit out of favor and fintech and, you know, anything that's, that was, you know, completely software-based, uh, software-based in, in traditional industries. And you're seeing a lot of those investors come to call it clean tech, sustainability, et cetera. And these are viewing, you know, tailwinds here as kind of high growth rates for till 2050, hopefully, knock on wood, but, you know, until, until um, you know, five to 10 years from now. And I think that's drawing a lot of capital. What has been frustrating has been, you know, with that has, has come difficulties in valuation and, and, and competition for deals. So, you know, we've been in this industry, you know, for almost 20 years investing in it, and we've seen the booms and the busts. Um, and, and most people have not, and we believe, you know, we've lost, I don't know, dozens of deals on, um, on valuation because some other investor that is, that is not necessarily like a sustainable investor, but a generalist investor will give a company much better terms. And I think, we're seeing a little of that die down a little bit with the, you know, with the current macro environment, whereas, you know, I think the fringe investors are, are, are more on the sidelines and the core investors are, are, are still pretty active, but um, it's, it's still been a little bit of a mismatch between, you know, quality companies and, and, and the, the amount of capital out there. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. And, and, you know, on the, macroeconomics, which everyone is still real unsure. So what's happening in the next six to 12 months? Um, what What is your perspective on, you know, where the renewable energy industry kind of sits in that forecast? Sorry, in, in, sorry I missed what you said in the first question. Just like in, in macro, yeah, in macroeconomics right now, you know, everyone's uncertain. Yeah. Are we headed to a recession? Is the, like, obviously in the tech world, the funding uh, seems to be, uncertain or drying up. My personal opinion, which I'll throw in here first, is that in in a, a world that is potentially headed to a recession, there's still funding available. It's just going to more quality companies as to as opposed to everybody. Um, but it, we've also somewhat seen that renewable energy is is a bit resilient in the current environment because we we need electricity. Like we we absolutely need that. We need energy independence. There, there's a variety of reasons 
that there's still gonna be money you know, flowing into the development of renewable energy. But I guess what is is your um, perspective on the on the macroeconomic scale with regard to renewables? Yeah, actually, I had this conversation earlier today with with a different company, and I um, I said there are the haves and the have-nots. So I think you'll see a divergence between quality companies and kind of smoke and mirrors, to put it mm-hmm. to put it bluntly. You know, you when times are good, everyone gets funded. When times are bad, the good ones get funded. And there's a flight quality. So, you know, you'll see, that's why I think good quality companies in this industry will continue to get funding and will continue to get um, good valuations because it's a flight to quality. Mm-hmm. And those companies theoretically should not experience as much um, volatility or um are concerned for for their capital needs as as you know the companies that are newer or also rands so that's that's where i see that um i think the biggest challenge in the macroeconomic environment likely over the next 12 months is cost of debt as it relates to this industry because you know, there was a Bloomberg article today that says we need 1.3 trillion dollars of investments to make you know to hit our renewable targets by each year until 2030. And guess what? Like two thirds of that has to be debt, right? And you know, may, around that level, call it you know two thirds, three fourths around that level, so say 80 percent. And and if that goes up by 200 basis points, which it it's gone up more than that over the last you know nine months. What happens to the equity? And I think that's going to be the biggest challenge. As again, as I mentioned, you know, the IRA had some self-help. I think people's expectations of power prices also need to change. You know, when you when you have a thirty dollar uh, PTC, you know, you can afford to sell power at ten dollars or five dollars a megawatt hour, and you know, you can't just do that now. Like people's like, like you know expectations of a cheap PPA have to be more realistic. It's still cheaper than natural gas. But I think that that has to be reset as, as well. So mm-hmm. I think I think that will be the biggest challenge is recalibrating the unit economics of renewable energy projects based on the cost of capital. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I uh, <clears throat> was in an interesting uh, conference session uh, last week where we're, uh, we were talking about renewable energy and actually Bill Gates was speaking. And he made the comment that most people's opinions of where the, the energy technology is and where the prices are is 10 years delayed from what's reality. And it takes 10 years for the overall masses to understand where their electricity is coming from or where any of their energy is coming from and what to expect from it. And, and I think we're, we're obviously seeing that in real time right now that um, a majority of people still believe were 10 years ago with you know, what the cost was, what the installation costs are, the requirements of tax credits, the requirements of support from around the industry. And, and so it's it'll be interesting to see how fast we can, you know, move that needle so people understand that, you know, energy is coming from multiple sources and, and to make this transition, we need to continue to push this investment in, in all of these areas. You know, kind of back to your comment of 2012, 2013, uh, we personally felt that hit. We started the company in 2012 and started talking about going into wind. And everyone told us, I saw a big market, that market's dying. There were no installations this year. Like it was, it was a fad. We're, we're moving on and, you know, beyond it. And, uh, 
you know, obviously things, things turn around and here we are today, but it is interesting to see how long it takes the, the overall public to understand uh, the shift in technology. Yeah. I'm curious. There's like a survey out there that, you know, takes thousands of people and says, Hey, what do you think is the most expensive form of electricity? Yeah. And, um, and then I feel like a majority will that, of them will say renewables, in which case it's the exact opposite. So, um, I maybe agree, we should put a poll you know, out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we should have a poll, uh, unscientific, obviously, but yeah. it, it'll be, I, I think, you know, what people do need, uh, what the industry, I think, also downplays is the volatility of, of supply that the industry creates. So I think storage is going to be a big factor in that. And, uh, and whether it be a short and long duration, but I think those assets need to be deployed. And I do think there's a, there's a, there's room for natural gas. Like if you have natural gas plus wind and solar, you're fine. As long yeah. as the natural gas is dispatchable. And you're not going to be using, you know, the emissions associated with that form or for, um, portfolio of electricity are going to be much better than what we have now. So you guys have talked a lot about innovation, the government's role, private sector's role, all of those kinds of things. I know I've, I've been hearing a lot of people talk about how innovation is going to get us to these 2050 lofty goals. Um, I don't know if that's always the answer. It's just new tech all the time. But what do you think is the role of not just the government and the, the new rollout of IRA, but just also private sector's role in, in continuing to help us hit those 2050 goals? Yeah, um, I'll take maybe two timely examples on that in terms of innovation where kind of broad concepts that if you know become commercial could have an instrumental effect on achieving the 2050 goals. I think one is carbon capture. And I think there is a lot of innovation at, in the private sector for carbon capture, especially as it relates to direct air capture. You have three or four different companies that have received you know, billions of dollars in funding from private funding that, you know, effectively are giant vacuum cleaners. They suck air out of the, uh, uh, you know, ambient air and then they, they, they filter the carbon out and they store the carbon or, you know, put it in some type of other material. And, you know, right now those costs are just so high, nearly thousands of dollars per ton. And even with the IRA, I think it's a $200 per ton credit versus an 85. It's much higher, but still not sufficient. But there's like an innovation curve where, you know, it's maybe $2,000 now, but five years, it'll be, you know, a thousand or five years after that, it'll be 500. Um, and those are the kind of innovation curves you're seeing from, from the private sector in direct air capture, which is, I think, essential for being, you know, down 2050 goals and, 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 um, and carbon uh, intensity, intensity. The next is nuclear. Like, Oddly enough, you know, I think nuclear is coming back into vogue and, uh, and a little bit, maybe a little bit IRA, sorry, maybe a little bit as, as IRA related because there's now an incentive for, for nuclear. But uh, a lot of funding has gone into private sector nuclear fusion. And there are about a half a dozen companies looking at that. Again, that's a little bit of a, you know, that is a 30-year time horizon. Like they aren't going to have working reactors probably in the next 10 years or commercial reactors. And, uh, and I think 
that there's some government, you know, grants and things associated with that, but a majority of that is being done by the private sector. So I, you know, I think those are good examples of innovation that could really have a step function change to our environmental goals as a society. Yeah, I've said that, um, you know, fusion comes along, Skyspecs probably won't have a need anymore because it'll completely take over wind, but that'll be so much better for humanity if we can <laughs> solve that, that big problem. So my personal view is that by the time fusion is commercial, um, wind with battery storage can just run, run 24 seven yeah. and it'll be cheaper. So, uh, I think you'll still have it. I think you'll still have yeah. a job, Danny. <laughs> um, so I actually want to take a leap off of that and just ask what, and this one you might have to think about, but what is, what is one opinion or perspective that you have on this industry that you think others might not agree with? I, I'll give you mine if you want. It might trigger some. Thoughts. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so my, my opinion that is, is largely unpopular uh, in, in amongst all the groups is I, I, I wish that all of these industries would work together better. And I don't think it's a binary switch from oil and gas to electricity um, or, or to renewable energy. I think there will always be a need for burning oil and gas for certain applications that you need that energy density, or you need that flexibility. Obviously, until the blissful world of pure fusion, where we're driving hydrogen cars and hydrogen airplanes and all of that kind of stuff. But until you get to that that reality, uh, you know, I, I wish there was more political collaboration, uh, private collaboration between all these energy sources. And we we recognize it in our customers. We have large energy customers that work in both, and they are trying to go after that mixed strategy. Uh, but too often, you see in politics or just, I mean, really anything that's arguing against the two, you know, usually fighting for either uh, policies or a source of funding, ultimately is it's one or the other and not a mix. And even though Skyspix directly benefits from as much wind in the ground as possible that we can service, I think, you know, for the whole industry, the collaboration of energy, you know, sources is, is the best path forward. And, and I, I argue that a lot at conferences and, and with, you know, other colleagues in the space that it is not binary. I agree. So maybe I'll, I'll add to that because my, one of my views has been, in order for us to make this transition, which it is going to take over a long period of time, we're not going to win our way out of uh, win ourselves out of uh, out of using fossil fuels for for decades. Um, we should work with the big oil majors, yeah. And you know, and I think it should go both ways, right? But I think if you know, if if Axon, you know gets into this industry, they have so much capital and so much, you know, just to wait, whether it be, they know, they, they know land, they have, you know, they have access to land, they have obviously the capital, they have the political weight. And if they wanted to, you know, build a giant hydrogen station, which I think, you know, is probably on their, um, it could be on their idea list, then they need to do it. And I feel like we should collaborate with with those institutions. I think a lot of people in this industry, uh, they are very passionate about being in renewables, and and the that can come in the way of being practical and how to grow the industry at the fastest pace. 
Um, and, you know, I think we don't just need Democrats as well to support the industry. I think a lot of the growth in the industry are actually happening, happening in red states. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is a personal, maybe this is a pet peeve. Uh, it's just, you know, something that doesn't compete with me is that why, you know, if I'm a Texas governor or a senator, why am I not um, supporting this industry when, like, my entire power grid, all new power generation, and thousands of jobs are being created by this industry? And that goes through the entire kind of middle of the country, um, the wind belt, and, uh, and solar as well. So most, I think most new capacity are in red states. So yeah, most of our customers are in call. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Wind and solar. And I think, you know, that collaboration really needs to be there at the political level, um, given the job creation. And, uh, and I think red states are the ones pulling for all these domestic manufacturing jobs. What I've heard is that, you know, they're being done in the Southeast and, um, and, you know, call it Ohio, which is a swing state in the Rust Belt. So I think there needs to be a lot more collaboration, but yeah, that's that's the tough one to tackle. Yeah, that's true throughout all of life, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, over to a selfish question. Uh, yeah. what, what got you uh, most excited about working with SkySpecs? I think it was because you guys are the leader in what you guys do. So... One, we, you know, that, 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 that's a simply, that's the simple answer. You know, if I had to answer it using one, you know, one phrase, that says, you guys are a leader in what you guys do. But behind that was, we recognized the issue you guys are solving or solved, which is having people climb turbines and ex-rock climbers climb turbines to, to look for, um, to look for cracks and, um, and issues with, with, with blades. So, we recognize the, you know, the payback period associated with that and um, downtimes, et cetera, associated with, um, with bad wind maintenance. And then we really liked how you guys have, I think it was above 90% of the market share in the U.S. Um, your contracts, you know, you had, based on our diligence, you had, you know, contracts of 14 of the top 15 asset owners in the U.S., and that fifteenth is one that will never choose anyone. Um, and you know, we we like the fact that you guys are constantly innovating, right? You went from the old model to the foresight drone, and you guys are innovating from you know blade asset management to drivetrain asset management to financial asset management. These are all things that we've recognized from where we sit um, within the investment industry. Of, of pain points for, for asset owners and ways to reduce costs. So another, another part of our thesis is, and this goes back to returns for renewable energy assets, is it's so competitive. The industry is very competitive. You know, do you sell power at three cents or at 3.02 cents? And like, it's like that level of pennies that you are going to be um, you know, uh, competing against um, the next guy with, uh, on. And if you can reduce your own costs by, you know, single digit basis points, it really does make a difference in the overall financial model. And, you know, one way of doing that, in addition, you know, in, in addition to just, you know, higher capacity factors, things like that, is 
maintain your sleep correctly and spending the least amount to maintain your sleep. Um, and I think that's was our thesis for you guys um, and, and being able to um, really show the payback period to your customers. I think you, you see a lot of like, hey, you should use our software or tool and it'll, it'll help you do X, Y, or Z. And the payback is more theoretical. And I think with you guys, it was, it was very tangible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and similarly for us, um, I mean, we were thrilled to, to work with you guys. Like I've already said earlier in this podcast that the Goldman's one of the longest investors in this industry understands it better than most, if not all. And, uh, and he really had a, a, a mixed um, experience between investing in technology, investing in the assets themselves and a long-term focus on, on where the industry is headed. And that, uh, that aligned with our values as well. Uh, it's, it's a hard problem to solve. You know, this is all, all of this uh, renewable energy and uh, climate action is a hard problem to solve. And, and so we're, we're excited to work together on that. Yeah. And then obviously Danny, you and Sarah and the whole management team were great. You know, you've, you've gone the company from, you know, out of your dorm room, uh, to, to where it is today. So, Kudos to you all on, on building this from, you know, it was an idea in, in, at, when you were at school. Yeah, appreciate it. No, we've got an outstanding team around the table here. So along those lines, um, what, what do you continue to look for when you invest in other companies? And, and what do you think your, your investment portfolio will kind of look like in the next five to 10 years? Um, no, great question. I think it's similar to you know, what we looked at for Scott's just, I think it's leaders in respective industries and they can be very niche. It can be very broad, but, um, we really want to understand like why a company is, uh, the biggest in its respective space and that justify evaluation, um, that, uh, that we can, that we can stomach or not. But what we specifically look for in addition to that is, um, the unit economics to their customers. So in every deal that I think in almost every deal that we have in our portfolio, we look at, hey, what's the service or product that our portfolio company is providing? And does that save their customers money? Like real tangible dollars. And if the answer is yes, and we can do diligence that and affirm that, and it's obviously a company's a leader in terms of market share, then that's something that's very attractive to us. But I think a common thread you'll see in our in, in our investing style is does the product or service or software or whatever that the company portfolio company is offering, is that a value add product to its customers? Um versus a luxury item or something like that, where um, you know, we really want to be saving people money. Or filling in a supply demand shortage, right? Like if we want to be um, investing in a company that invests that, that manufactures inverters here in the U.S., like that's you know that's filling in a gap that doesn't exist, or you know batteries for electric vehicles, where we have a large bet as a firm, um, where we want to you know we help catalyze um, a large battery development uh, manufacturing facility in Europe. And the unit economics are less just, you know, less of an issue there is it's more providing product. 
Uh, and then one more thing, sorry, I made that in the sin, but uh, the sustainability and impact angle. So, you know, it's essential for our fund is that every company um, that we invest in has a, you know, is in the environment and climate solutions space. So is providing solutions and tools to help solve the, the climate crisis. So a couple last questions for you then. Um, is there anything we haven't covered today that you'd like our listeners to know? One is they should, if they own wind farms or their own wind farms, use sky specs. <laughs> Sign 10-year contracts, quarterly yeah. inspections. Absolutely. That'd be, that'd be great. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, what else? I mean, if that's the one thing, I'm good with that. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I, I, I have this joke, um, that I've kind of said since I joined this, joined Goldman, which is in joining this industry, like 2016 years ago, I said, at some point, you know, our team was called the alternative energy investing team. That was the name before the Sustainable Investment Group. And at some point, it should have been just called, it should be just called the Energy Investing Group, not the Alternative Energy Investing Group, because that's what the world's going to. It's not alternative. That's the main form of energy. Um, And so I think we're getting there. I think, you know, over the last three years, you know, we've kind of been in this alternatives, you know, non-core approach to energy. And now, you know, I, I really do feel like you can drop the word alternative and this is what we do. We're just energy. Um, and, and so that's something that, you know, was my joke now is no longer uh, a joke. It's more reality, um, which is great. And I think that is only going to continue. I, I don't think, you know, you can go back to, you know, who you think, or, you know, who was president you know, before who's going to be president next, like the industry continues to grow. It may affect the growth rate of the industry, but um, I think, I I think there's too much inertia behind this. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, do you have any other questions? No, I'm good. You can, you can wrap it up with the last question. Awesome. Well, last question then for you. Um, so if anyone is interested in working for Goldman or working with you guys and learning more about what you guys do, is there anywhere they can specifically look for you guys and learn more about you? Unfortunately, the answer is a little bit mixed. Um, yeah. So we're not good at marketing. Goldman is not good at marketing. <laughs> and um, I think if you look up renewable energy on Goldman's website, you may kind of see something that's related to what we do. Um, you know. We, we have a, our group does not have, you know, it's on LinkedIn page. We're part of the Goldman Sachs Asset Management. And that, you know, is pretty active on social media and things like that. But, you know, if you, if you want to get a hold of me, you know, Danny knows where to get a hold of me. He can, he can reach me 24-7. <laughs> so um, happy to, to talk to people. I know I, I talk to people frequently that who want to come into this space you know, either be part of a portfolio company, you know, they, they may more have an operational role or, you know, they're like, you know, they're on the investment banking side and they want to be on the investing side or they're in some other, you know, part of finance and they want to be on, 
the investing side here, or they're in a different sector and they're like, hey, I want to be in sustainability. So I constantly talk to people who want to be in our industry on the investing side um, or on the operation side and, you know, welcome, welcome more discussions. I think, uh, I mean, having more and more and more recently um, versus several years ago. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, Vikas, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. It's been been great talking to you about this. And uh, like I said before, we're, we're thrilled to be working with you and uh, looking to, to help change this industry so we we can get caught back up and hit those those 2030 and 2050 targets. Likewise, you know, this interview was so long that we changed, we had to change clothes through the interview. And, uh, <laughs> I know, it took days. go over multiple days. <laughs> this interview was so long. So, uh, but no, it's, 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 thanks for having me on. Um, this is my first podcast and um, we really, really appreciate you guys bringing us in the mix and um, we hope, you know, we're, we're really excited to be part of the Skyspecs family. Well, we're really happy you're part of it too. And could not tell that it was your first podcast. You did phenomenal. Thanks. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Climate Chronicles brought to you by Skyspecs. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe to our podcast so you can be the first to know when we release the latest episodes. If you really liked it, make sure to give us a five-star review. See you next time. Thank you.